Hey team, welcome back and welcome to a special episode of Transition Talk. In this space, we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. And this path has become more messy in the recent weeks. As you all are painfully aware, COVID-19 was declared a global pandemic on March 16th. And over the following days and weeks, states and national associations like the ADA began encouraging and requiring dental practices to shut down and materially limit their services. The impact spans beyond dentistry and has halted several sectors of our economy. The panic and uncertainty is palpable. And while some economic relief has been passed, the information is voluminous and complex. So we're not going to talk about those bills or the relief. Our affiliate Cane Waters has been working around the clock to do what they always do, which is provide us education and solid, stable guidance. Their COVID-19 resource page has become a go-to and is an incredible resource to practice owners navigating this challenging time. So definitely check that out. And I've included the link in the summary of this episode. So today we... Charles and I are going to talk about how COVID-19 is impacting transitions. Clearly, we're still in the middle of this, and these are our opinions. We've learned in the past few days that flexibility and being prepared and educated is so critical, and our promise is to continue to be that resource and champion of private practice ownership. So let's get going, but first, there's a lot of real life that's happening here as well. So before we dive into the serious topic of today, laughter is the best medicine, right? <laughs> so I hope so. <laughs> tell us, uh, Mr. Loretto, about your life in quarantine. Well, pleasure to see your face, too, via Zoom. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we haven't seen each other in a while, and this is our first Saturday morning Zoom. It is. Uh, you know, it's challenging to kind of record during the week with kids and uh, just the, the new life that we're living in. It is, so, I, as you know, I've got these kids that we've punted out of the house, and Roxanne and I, we're about ready to get our party on and, uh, <laughs> you know, have fun, and we do our date nights and do our dinners. And, girl, I am back cooking again. I, the laundry, there's dishwasher fights. I'm spending a lot of time with my wife, or, you know, and, and there's no place to run. You know, I can't just, like, no I'll be back. Yeah, there's no I, – I usually hop on airplanes. I get, like, a three or four-day, like, little hiatus, and then I come back. She misses me. I misses her. Now we are just at it, you know. So it's real life in this quarantine. It is and, real uh, life. <laughs> I mean, live from my bedroom because it's yes. the only place in the house that I cannot be interrupted. I've got a question for you because you are by far one of those amazing teachers, but you've been teaching adults and I've been watching your success and by far you're incredible. How are you as teacher Radcliffe to Mm -hmm. let's say the little ones? How's that going? Yeah, it is a lot. Me and Bryn get along great because it's letter of the day. So family is easy for me. Um, teaching my nine-year-old, on the other hand, has been a different story. Luckily, her school's been great, but it is interesting. We have a lot of snacks. We have a lot of breaks. We have some brain breaks during the day. It has been a lot. You know, it's funny because usually when life changes, it changes in one area, and you kind of get used to it. This right. has been literally every area of our lives, and everyone listening understands this. It has been just kind of a new normal, and everyone's trying to adjust and process. So if you talk to me in the next month, now that Texas has extended it for another month, you're going to hear a dog and a kid in the background, but I promise <laughs> you, I am focused. <laughs> How are you and Chris getting along? Is everything good? Do you, you have any uh, stories there? Do you need so to go outside he, of the patio every once in a while? He is 
still, um, he's considered essential business in Texas because residential okay. construction is still going on. Yeah. So he is still leaving the house every day. We are buckets of sanitizer and washing down handles when he's good. every day. Good, good, Trying to be safe. But so he gets a reprieve. So we had a little discussion today about how his life is still somewhat normal. And um, <laughs> we need to have a little adjustment on the weekend. <laughs> Why Christy is still a little grumpy when he comes home. And Roxanne, you know, she's amazing. You know, I travel, and she just said, I'll take care of the laundry. But she's like, hey, now that you're home, there's no need for me to do the laundry. Like, oh, honey, please. You know, this is – anyway, I'm caught up on Netflix. I finished Ozarks, and I can't say enough. Ozarks is by far incredible. Uh, just so, started last night, so I'm going to oh, catch yeah. up. We'll chat about that next time. Um, if okay. you haven't watched right. it, must watch for everyone. Must, must, must watch. Okay. So I've had a bunch of calls. I know you had a bunch of calls. And I know one at least like question we're getting from current clients and clients that we're having initial conversations with is, oh, my gosh, like, how does this impact what I'm about to do? Like, I want to be an owner. I've listened to every podcast. But now what do I do now? And I've also right. talked to sellers who are looking for someone or in the middle of a transition. And they're like, what does this mean? And there's a little panic on both sides. So I thought, Maybe just kind of starting off with, like, if if you're in the middle of a transition right now or about to kind of embark on one, maybe have a letter of intent going or, or there's already discussions, what does that really do for you, either as a buyer or seller? So why don't you kind of take one and I'll type in. Yeah, so, I mean, heck, buyer or seller, you're extremely nervous. I mean, you were so excited about um, what you're purchasing. You're so excited about what you're selling. So I think from a buyer's perspective, way more risk. The buyer is going to own this thing. We don't even know what this new thing, you know, is going to be. So, you know, for me, I had an ortho guy that was going to buy a practice right when this happened. This was like March, I think California closed like March 17th or something like that. And so he's called, what do you think? And they're supposed to close like the 20th or something like that. I'm like, dude, there's no way. I mean, there's just, there's just no way. It's like a $3 million ortho practice with like $3 million price tag and, you know, great overhead, but it's just way too much uncertainty. And at that time, you know, economy hadn't really taken a hit and this economic impact, much less a health crisis that we're in, I'm telling you this, this economic impact is real. And I mean, we just saw six more million people file for unemployment. And I have been speaking nonstop from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. for many of these last couple of weeks since this happened with people that own businesses and they have laid off their employees, you know, pretty much all of dentistry. And then those people can't even get through to file unemployment in many of these states, states like New York, where you just get either busy signals or they hang up on you. So it's an absolute crisis financially. It's an absolute crisis from a health standpoint. But if we talk about this, you're going to buy a business. We just need to make sure these patients are coming back, Christy. I mean, we got to make sure that, yes, they come back. The production collections are there. They got to pay their bills. We don't know what the health impact is going to be from a how we even practice dentistry you know, kind of going forward. Does that mean that we have to separate our waiting room differently? Does that mean we got to do something in our you know, chairs and we treat patients? It means we're going to have to have special masks, special this that might be more expensive. So there are so many things to me that give me pause. Now, I'm a very optimistic person. We will get through this 100%. It's just going to be a new normal, and it's just going to be important to see at least several, let's just say a couple of months after we get through this crisis to see those collections popping back. So if I've got a million-dollar practice and it consistently was doing $80,000 a month, 
I'm not going to close until I start to see a good $75,000 a month, at least on a production. I could be low on my collections, but I can start seeing my production. I can see my patient schedule is booked out kind of back to the new norm or what it looked like before. I don't feel comfortable as an investor do that. And then certainly the bank is going to be looking at this. And I will talk about banking here in a bit, but from a buyer's perspective, you know, I'm certainly hitting the pause button until I see this thing really come back. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think there's certain transitions where maybe that risk isn't as big if you're going to be in a partnership, so you're buying in or you've already been in the practice. I also see the risk of the practice has been shut down for however long it's going to be. Then even after it comes back, right, then you transition it. That's a lot of change, right? That's a lot of there's no consistency that maybe that relationship, if the selling doctor hasn't done a good job of maintaining the relationship, maybe some of that relationship has started to break down. So I think as a walkaway sale is probably the riskiest part. Definitely. I've talked to some buyers over the last couple of weeks that are doing partnerships where they're already in the practice and they're very confident, right? I mean, they're, they're like us, they're optimistic, they're like, this is going to come back. Yes, I want to make sure it's kind of coming back as it is, but I'm in this practice, my partner's here, like this is going to work. And so they're moving forward. And so I think it just depends on your unique situation. There's no advice that we can give that's just do not do this or this is how long you have to wait after the practice is operational again. I think it's going to depend on each practice, each transition, what your relationship is with that seller and kind of your risk tolerance too, right? I've talked to some people who are like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Like it'll be good. And some people that are like, halt, I don't want to do nothing else until this practice becomes operational again. So I definitely think it's dependent on your opportunity too and and talking through that and and making sure we understand what the risks are. Yeah, no doubt. And and so you're looking at that on a specialty basis. You're Mm -hmm. looking at on a location basis, on a per state, basically the number of cases that that state had. So you can almost see the risk that's there in that particular area, even by specialty like our interdotists right now, and they're still running at probably 75% capacity because it's more of, you know, people still going to have an emergency and need to get their tooth drilled on, you know, and then you've got maybe, maybe a more riskier practice that may be a super high end aesthetic cosmetic practice, you know, or a lot less risk in ortho that's got a ton of contracts, you know, built up and were scheduled to close, I definitely would look at that contracts to help alleviate some of that risk. And maybe we still move forward and maybe we still have the same price, but maybe we have some conditions now that we put in place with the seller that we help alleviate some of that risk. And so we say, hey, if the practice doesn't hit these certain thresholds, so we'll have to look at that as consultants as we guide both these buyers and sellers through this or we're working just with the buyers to come up with strategies like this because we still promote ownership and we still it still makes sense. We just have to assess this risk on a like you said, on a per location, per practice, you know, situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've also had some people in their new calls, right? We're looking over new opportunities. Sweet lady yesterday said, Am I dumb for like doing this right now? Like is this real stupid that I'm looking at this practice? And my answer to her was no, right? I mean, I think this is a great opportunity to explore opportunities, look at them, assess them. Do I think you should close? In most cases, no. But I do think that using this time to, if you find a practice you really like, to do the legwork and do your diligence, develop the relationship with the seller. And then as long as you're both up front with your communications of, hey, I'm going to need to see that this practice is doing what it was prior now again, then I think it's fine to continue your diligence and continue striving towards ownership because eventually that's where you're going to be. As a seller, I think that a worry or concern is that your practice is going to go down in value, right? And I think buyers have to be understanding that what a practice is worth on March 5th, right, before all of this kind of blew up is not different, really, from what it's worth when the practice opens back up. 
Now, if after six, seven months and the practice isn't doing what it was doing, then yes, now the values likely change. But as a buyer, you cannot say, hey, the practice is down and now it's more risky and so now I'm going to offer less. Um, it's not totally fair, right? Let's put the shoe on the other foot. And the good thing is all dental practices are probably on the same level playing field. They're all going to have a similar downtime. It's just how they kind of bounce back. So from a seller's perspective, I think it's important to understand that if you were thinking about a transition, if you're in the middle of a transition, the best way to make sure your value is the same as it was prior to this is to make sure you're keeping your relationship with your patients. And once you get back, do whatever you can to make sure you get up as quickly as you can, you know, within reason and, and your land control that so much, but that's going to help make sure that your value retains what it was. Yeah. And you have to respect that the practice has been out for four months and you're still trying to close the day that your state is going to yeah. open back up. I mean, you got to be realistic that the buyer and the bank are probably going to come at this at some type of, you know, lower price. So you got to be realistic that we can allow those couple of months. And I mean, to me, if, if we're guiding that buyer through, and I can see it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I can see that the recall, okay. it's like your due diligence of when we're doing the, the chart audit, you, same thing in this can we just look at the book? Can we look at the schedule that I've got patients, you know, booked in, all the hygiene patients are starting to call. Heck, be a part of that practice and get those patients lined back up to see and get treated. I'm feeling much more at ease. Um, I think this is, you know, this buyer and seller just need to be realistic through this time because I know the banks, they really haven't gone through this before. So it's going to be interesting to see what the risk departments of these banks, these big national banks, uh, and how they're going to look at it, you know, because they, they've oh, never yeah. really gone through this before. So they may have new rules that we have to sort of plan by. And that leads actually perfectly into my next topic I want to talk about, which is we all obviously talk to a lot of banks, both national and regional. So kind of what lenders are saying right now as we sit here today, April 6th, and say, hey, this is kind of where we are today, but where we are today is going to change a week and two weeks and three weeks from now. And like you said, they have never done this before. So we're relying a lot on what they have done historically, but knowing that they're probably in the process of coming up with how are we going to look at these practices for the next year, right? Because 2020 is going to be an abnormal year for all practices, and they're all going to look down comparatively to 19, I would think, just from being closed. And so how are they going to look at that year? How is that going to determine into lending and price? And so I think that's really important to understand, too. And for you as a seller, if you are working with a buyer, to know that the buyer is going to be kind of limited by whatever the banks say. And from a buying perspective, to understand what your kind of capacity to get loans, if you get a loan, kind of how many, some banks are offering six months of no payments or reduced or interest only or whatever they're offering. So I think it's just important to understand and continue having conversations with those banks. What are you hearing from a national lending standpoint from kind of some of our big partners? Yeah, so they certainly have reached out to us in just the last week or 10 days just to basically say, hey, if you've got anything that's still going to close, that we're still there, basically, we do need to close, you know, sooner or later, something does want to fund on some type of refinance or any acquisition. They want to push that because their credit department, risk department, they need to see financial. So if we go all the way to May, then they're now going to want to see the last several months. I don't have production on the books for the last several months, and I got no profit and loss statement then that's going to be the negative. So I think they were trying to push as much as they could through to get closed in this April timeframe. Now, in the last two weeks, this whole thing with the the CARES Act passed, and so now all of a sudden we're lending $350 billion to these Mm -hmm. small business owners. Well, that's our dental practices. 
Mm-hmm. So now every one of these local banks that have loans with dentistry, they're doing this mad rush of taking their banks and to figure out how to lend money with this SBA process. So they're kind of shifting gears of figuring out other ways that they can be profitable and make money and help their clients. Mm-hmm. And so that's been their focus right now. It's going to be the same thing with these other small and regional banks is they're certainly going to be looking at these loans a lot yep. differently. And so best guess is the big boys with trillions of dollars, you know, sitting in the bank are going to be the ones that really come through. And best guess is some of these local banks are going to be really, really particular because they're going to probably have a lot of high risk loans. These little banks, they start defaulting on a couple of loans and they can really mess a bank up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from what we've heard, it seems as though the national lenders are still up for business, closing if they can. If a buyer and seller are still mutually on the same page, they're still closing, still have money to lend, kind of offering buyers these concessions to make sure that they're okay for the next six, seven months as this kind of works itself out. Regional banks are not, right? I've heard from several buyers of several regional banks where they're saying, we're not funding anything else until the practice is operational. They have various times, 30, 45, 90, whatever days after it becomes operational again. You know, I think that that's important to for sellers to understand um, and what they're going to look at. It's also important to see what the practice is doing before this happened, right? Because there are some practices that were down in 2020 before this happened. And as a buyer that's kind of looking at this moving forward or a bank, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what allowances are given for this 2020 year and this time period and if you can differentiate that at all. Yeah, I just I can't see it any other way that there's going to be kind of new conditions that they're going to place. I think from an opportunity standpoint, I know we're going to talk about valuations, but I, I do think that there is a small shift that we will see to a buyer's market across the board because every seller, if you want to think about it, their stock has actually gone down. Yeah. And so now as a buyer, you're able to, just like with the market, you're able to buy at the low. And so for those transitions that may be in front of you, it could be a great opportunity. I mean, I can't even imagine it's got to be in the thousands of practices. You're going to have a bunch of 75, 80-year-old, 90-year-old, maybe not 90, but I do have a 90-year-old guy that's been selling. Yeah. And let's just say an 80-year-old guy that's working in practice, got a little $400,000 practice, and he's just been cooking along. You know, all of a sudden, the child that's 60 is laying down the hammer and said, Dad, I'm done. Okay, you are done, and you're not going back. And send a letter to your patients, and we're not risking your life. You've got kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. Mm-hmm. This little hobby of yours, we're done, okay? Yep. I can't imagine that there's less than thousands of these types of practices that are going to happen. So those patients will still need to be treated. There are going to be so many people that come and just basically buy those patient records that haven't been treated. So those practices are going to be at a significant discount. So that's an opportunity, unfortunately. Unfortunately for the seller, you know, potentially it's an opportunity for you as the buyer. It's no different than buying a stock when it's undervalued. Hey, you sold, you want to get out, you think it went to the bottom. I happen to have cash. I'm buying that stock and you know, I'm going to be the one that gets to ride that thing up because I can see this is an undervalued investment. It was worth here. 
Now it's at the bottom. I get to buy it, and I'm going to ride that thing up because I'm going to take those patients and bring them into my practice. Yeah, and I think it's easy to kind of think negatively about that. I mean, we say that, right, like there's an opportunity, and it's not taking advantage of the people who are having to close their doors because it's happening. I think it's also an opportunity to allow them to sell, right, and get something because the choice is to close their doors and walk away, right? That's not probably how they would have wanted to do that. They probably want to transition their staff and patients just like any other owner has. or does. So as a buyer, it's allowing you to kind of take advantage of that by giving them something, right, where they wouldn't have gotten anything. I had a really sad and good story that I wanted to share with you. I haven't told you this yet, but talking to some potential buyer this week, and he had done a letter campaign about a year and a half ago, and he sent out his letters, and he got a call two weeks ago from um, the wife of a dentist who had gotten his letters. I put the letter on the fridge and the guy got sick and he's unfortunately not doing well and they're having to sell his practice. And the lady had just kept the guy's letter on the fridge and when they needed to sell, pulled it off the fridge, gave him a call and said, hey, we got your letter about a year and a half ago and I never reached out, but now we're looking to sell. Is there any chance you're still interested? And he's looking at the practice now. So, you know, I think that that clearly, again, letter campaign, but it showed me that this is not always just kind of a fire sale, you know, a negative to the sellers. It's actually an opportunity for them to kind of get something when they were just going to shut their doors. So I definitely think it's an opportunity for both buyers and sellers, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yeah, if I, if on the letter campaign, you know I'm excited about stuff. So if I was thinking about top five or six things that I have ever done, we have ever done together, the letter campaign, it's got to be a top five idea uh, yeah. and follow through. Our water bottles, that's definitely a top five. Or this water podcast, bottles. this podcast has been a good, hiring <laughs> you, Christy, making you a partner, that's a top five. Nearly. Uh, yes, Nearly yes, yes. Yeah. Tell me what's going on in transition. So that team you're leading and how's Don? holding up through all of this. Yeah, these valuations, you know, if you're in the middle of a valuation right now, you're probably one of the more panicked people. You don't know what to do. You don't know if you should stop the valuation or start it. Don's been a trooper. And most of our valuation clients are continuing through. If you remember, if you haven't listened to the valuation episodes, go back and listen to those. But valuations are done at a point in time. So most of our valuations are as of 1231.19 right now. So as of 1231.19, this had not impacted us or the U.S. or your practice. And so your value at 1231.19 isn't being impacted right now. Now, whether or not that price and that value that we come to at 1231.19 is going to be the true value and price whenever you finally sell is based on what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, which is how is your practice coming back, right? I think the value very much will hold for a lot of practices of what it was at 1231.19 if those patients continue to come back. But is there going to need to be an adjustment in the future? Maybe, right? The problem is that we are just starting to see practitioners in the valuation world talk about and all of his professionals and part of the you know National Association of Certified Valuation, all the boards are starting to come together to figure out how is COVID going to impact the valuation process for the next probably four years, right? Because if you think about it, if we look at the historical financials of a practice, 2020 is going to be in that three or four year span for the next three or four years. And so to value a practice right now as of 6-30-2020, which would be kind of the next valuation date for some of those sales, is completely unreasonable for most practices, right? That's going to put a bad value on your practice that six-month period is not representative of your practice moving forward. And so when do we value practices? 
How do we look at 2020? Those are evolving conversations that professionals are having in the industry. And right now, we're in a place where we're using 1231-19 dates, and we're going to continue to do that for the time being until guidance in, in the professional industry kind of tells us otherwise or presents another reason. But for right now, your valuation date is 1231-19, and then your practice and, and what happens with your practice in a comeback is going to determine if that price needs to be adjusted. And we're being flexible with our clients and if they need updates in the next year or so, if, those, if that makes sense for their practice, and that's what we're going to do and talking buyers through it. But I think both buyers and sellers need to be flexible and understand kind of that this is an unknown and unprecedented time is becoming a catchphrase that a lot of people are using over and over again, but it's very much true here. And we have to kind of just wait and see kind of what happens there. Yeah, I would anticipate if you had uh, like a $2 million collection practice and use 1231 financials, good overhead, nice equipment, and maybe that value came in, you know, on the higher end of one six. And so you got a buyer and seller basically ready to roll to create that partnership for a 50% buy-in for a $800,000 value. Everything's a go. We're still working on it, be able to deliver that valuation because it is a 1231. And then maybe if they're scheduled to close, let's say in a June close date, it may just be that, you know, we may close in July or August. It just may delay that process and both that buyer and seller are going to be able to, to kind of see that. And maybe that delays the process for the yep. buy-in. But, you know, the buyer has to assess that, you know, because remember when you go back and you look at the five reasons you must own, you know, why don't you make more money? So you have to evaluate, is this stock going to go back up? And if the answer is yes, and it may not be exactly doing, you know, whatever uh, 2 million divided by 12 is 160,000 or something like that, it may not be doing $160,000 a month in July. But man, if you can see the production is already on the books for August, man, we got to pull the trigger because if not, we're just leaving money on the table. Now, if it's some, um, well, you're doing 100000 a month and it, it took that big of a dip, then as an investor, of course, we want to wait or of course, we may want to adjust the price or something like that. Heck, in that case, the seller doesn't even want to sell to you because the practice has gone down so much. So it's certainly going to impact us. And I know it's impacted our work. They're putting, you know, putting some things on hold and us all kind of working at home in these new roles that we're having in. One of the things I wanted to just make sure that I've learned through this, I have been on the phone with 30-minute phone calls for the last two weeks. I can't tell you how we're going to do hundreds of dentists here in the last couple of weeks that are going through this crisis. Since, as you mentioned, on our webpage, with, on our Cane Waters webpage, it's been such an amazing tool. Over 100,000 views went to the Cane Waters webpage for the advice and education that we're giving dentistry to guide them through this process. So I wish I could tell you that we were genius from a marketing standpoint and that we did that and that's going to drive business to Cane Waters. I wish I could tell you that we were that genius, but we weren't. We just needed to get our message out to our clients, and that's the tool that we use. And so far, it obviously has helped increase our awareness and increase a lot of people that actually have hired Cane Water. But if there's one thing I can tell you as a buyer or seller listening to this message, I cannot tell you and stress enough how important that you need cash in your life. You need cash in your business account. You need cash at your home because crisis like this will happen in your life, and those who have cash will survive. And part of that, thousands of people that don't survive dentistry, some of them are not going to be just older. I, I, I truly won't get through this crisis even with loans because of the people I spoke to that were already just dead broke and going paycheck to paycheck on the business front and the home front. I just don't know how they're going to just survive. So it's just really sad. 
And from a motivation standpoint, you know, which it's probably just a good lesson learning tool here that we've, we've got to be conservative in our personal lifestyles and we've got to be conservative in our business and, and not just spend that. Because if we have this cash, it just creates so much more opportunity and, and the stress level of being able to get through things like this is, is just so much easier. So for listeners, anyway, that's just my uh, old man talking to a lot of my young men and women. I know <laughs> when this all went down, I called all of us on the NDP team and, and just asked that everyone kind of tighten up their households because we don't know how this is going to impact our business, you know, over a long period. We don't know if this is a three-month wait or a two-month wait or a six-month wait. We just kind of hope and pray that we get through this and life comes back to normal and we can get back to purchasing practices and transitioning practices and help people with their, with their transition goals. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's kind of a good summary of today. And I know that we both believe in dentistry. We both believe in private practice. We both know this is going to come back. Everyone's going to have to have a little bit of patience and be smart about kind of both personal and professional and diligence in practices and kind of thinking about strategy from a transition standpoint. And we're clearly going to be here to kind of guide you through it. So even if it's just kind of a sounding board of, hey, I was thinking about doing this, and we're still having those complimentary calls, still talking you through, still helping our clients that are in the middle of diligence. And so we'll continue to do that. You know, I think that about covers what we hoped to cover today. We will likely pop back on here again and do another update as this evolves. We'll continue with regularly scheduled content. We have some podcasts that we had pre-recorded, so we'll continue to release those. You know, we're grateful for you. We want to give a special thank you to all our frontline workers, those medical staff and grocery store employees and Amazon and truckers and pharmacists. You guys are our heroes. Thank you so much. And you guys be safe. Stay home. And we look forward to helping you in your transition as we move forward. Thanks, Charles. It was good to see you today. I know. I I have missed you. (laughs) I have missed you. It's good to see you as well. So I'm going to go visit with the wife. Uh, I have not. I've been working a little too much. And she gave me the look. It's the look of (laughs) go do your laundry. (laughs) It's time. Hang out with me and all that fun stuff that we're doing together. So thank you for putting all this together and popping on 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 Saturday. Of uh, course. Yeah. And thanks, guys, for listening. And we'll be in touch soon. Okay. We'll see you guys. Bye-bye.